Welcome to All Vampires Are Gay, a serialized narrative podcast created by Corbin Rosewood. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all major podcasting platforms. If you like the show, please consider supporting our work. All Vampires Are Gay is made possible because of listeners like you. You can help out by becoming a patron, shopping our merch, and of course, telling your friends about the show. You can find all the ways to support us and more at our website, corwinrosewood.com. Now on with the show. The Haunting of Islington Manor, Part 2. Welcome, I'm Corwin Rosewood. And tonight we return to a very unusual party at Islington Manor in the English countryside a few hundred years ago. Victor has just seen someone that looked like Julian in a mirror, but it wasn't his lost love at all. Instead, it was a terrifying ghost, and now he needs to stop this monster before it's too late. Scene, Islington Manor. Victor moved through the large estate with the instincts of a predator, dodging out of sight of mirrors and peering around doorways without being spotted. His eyes darted to anything reflective, searching for signs of the ghost's return. He needed to find Ingrid before the monster found him again, and he was more than ready to fight if it came to that. A ghost was one thing, but taking on the form of his lost love? That was personal, and this specter had just made a very formidable enemy. He stalked the hallways quickly, darting his head into rooms as he passed, moving as soundlessly as a shadow. As he moved, he noticed something an emotion inside him. He was okay. Not happy, exactly, but okay. And that in itself was exceptional. After so long of just moping and drinking and crying, he had a monster to fight, and that felt good. He felt a purpose, a drive kindling inside him. Maybe Ingrid and Samson were on to something. All this being heroic had its advantages. He turned a corner and stopped in his tracks. It was the two werewolves he had seen on the patio before, speaking in hushed tones in the hallway. He darted back behind the corner, his heart beating fast, and pressed himself into the wall. He didn't know yet who had brought this monster here or what it wanted, And until he did, he was going to assume everyone was an enemy. He focused his supernatural senses into his hearing and listened to their conversation. Yes, it was Sarah. I swear I saw her right there, one of them said. Sarah's been dead for years, the other man said, his tone a mixture of anger and sadness. Damn it, Joseph. Don't you think I know that? The other man said. I was there when they killed her. But I saw her. I really did. She spoke to me and she said she needed our help. 
It was silent for a moment. Then the one named Joseph whispered, What did she need? Our cufflinks and your necklace. Grandma Hild gave me this necklace. It's been in our family for generations, Joseph replied. Come on, this is Sarah we're talking about. Are you going to stand on ceremony for some trinket if it could get her back? Joseph sighed. <sighs> no, of course not. I still don't believe you, but show me where you saw her. Victor heard the sound of rushed footsteps heading down the hallway, and then he darted his head out, breathing deeply. He watched the backs of the werewolves reach the end of the hallway and turn into a room. He briefly considered following them and warning them about what he'd seen, but he decided against it. There was too much risk. He didn't know if he could trust them, and he certainly wasn't in a mood to start trusting werewolves of all people. He needed to find Ingrid, now more than ever. She would know what was happening and how they could stop it. He moved forward with a resolve of purpose, noticing his hands shaking ever so slightly. He moved past a large floor-to-ceiling window with lush velvet curtains that looked out on the courtyard below. On the other side of the courtyard, he saw the lights spilling out of the stables through the sheets of rain pouring down. The carriages were all lined up inside, and the footmen were busily brushing down the horses till their coats gleamed, blissfully unaware of the drama unfolding inside. He heard a whispering of conversation and quickly pulled his eyes away from the peaceful stables and back inside. The sound was coming from the door to the next room. He sidled up beside it carefully, listening before he entered. I'm so sorry. I know. I should have stopped them. But they were so fast, the voice said in a desperate and pleading tone. It was familiar, but it took him a moment to recognize the voice. No, you're right. I could have done more. I could have done something. I, I could have tried. I have avenged you, and, and I will fight the vampires until my dying day, the voice said earnestly. That was when Victor recognized the voice. It was Samson. He peeked his head around the doorway and looked into the room. It appeared to be a dressing room. Wardrobes lined the walls, and expensive shoes were placed carefully on shelves. There was a large velvet ottoman in the middle of the room, with a few dresses and a hat draped over it. Samson was standing a few feet away from the big floor-length mirror, completely transfixed by whatever they saw within it. Their eyes glazed over, and a look of helplessness and misery written across their face. A couple of tears were silently running down their cheeks, and their hands were clenched in tight fists. The mirror was glowing with a strange kind of magic, tendrils of mist oozing out of the edges of the gilded frame. The mist was forming into corded light that reached out to Samson, curling itself around their body and twisting into their hair. Victor took in the sight and wondered what to do next. He knew he should find Ingrid, but he just couldn't leave Samson like this. He barely knew them, but the pain on their face was so deep, it mirrored his own agony completely. He had to do something. He strode purposefully into the room and shouted loudly, Samson, Samson. Samson didn't move or flinch or even notice. 
Victor sighed. He had been afraid of that. He looked around the room for something to throw at them and decided on a pair of dense leather shoes from one of the stands on the wall. He grabbed the shoe and focusing his powers, he lobbed it at Samson's chest. The shoe slammed into Samson with supernatural force and bounced right off. It ricocheted across the room and landed with a thump by the door. Samson didn't notice or move at all. I'm so sorry, of course, I'll help you, Samson said, moving closer to the mirror, reaching up to touch one of the tendrils of smoke tenderly. We'll be together again, all of us. I won't let them hurt you this time. Victor cursed and stalked around the room angrily. This was bad. The monster was manipulating Samson's pain, just like it had done to him. He thought about trying to cut the tendrils or stand between Samson and the mirror, but he didn't know enough about the monster to know what might happen, and he knew that getting himself trapped wouldn't help anyone. He walked up to Samson and tried to grab their shoulders, to shake them out of their daze, but the tendrils moved Samson out of the way before Victor could reach them. He ran his hands through his hair and looked around wildly, trying to find something which might help. Nothing presented itself, so he decided to try one last thing, and if this didn't work, he would leave to find Ingrid. He walked out the doorway and into the hall, putting as much distance between himself and Samson as possible. He readied his body, curling his arms to his sides and bending his head low, scrunching himself into position. He focused his senses internally, putting all of his thought and energy into his legs, his muscles, his speed, and physical power. With a blood-curdling warrior scream, Victor took off, running across the room as fast as he could, angling himself to barrel roll right into Samson, wrapping his arms around their torso before the tendrils could stop him, and slamming both of them into the wardrobe wall with a deafening crack. The wood splintered around them, a large wardrobe full of coats crashed down next to them, and floaty dresses of satin and silk fell on top of them. But it worked. Samson was free and very unhappy. Why did you do that? They shrieked, pulling away from Victor and holding on to their left arm tightly. They were bleeding in multiple places, and Victor wondered if he had broken their arm. Victor looked down at himself and noted he wasn't doing too much better. He had taken the brunt of the wardrobe on his own body, and he was bleeding in multiple places. He was breathing heavily, trying to get his bearings. He couldn't quite talk yet, so he just shook his head and pointed a shaking finger at the mirror. The misty tendrils were now moving around like an octopus, lost and confused without their victim trying to seek out Samson again. Victor quickly looked around the room for any other reflective surfaces, while Samson looked at the mirror with interest. Victor spotted a few silver jewelry boxes and a hand mirror laying on the dressing table, and he staggered up and threw one of the coats over them. He breathed a sigh of relief and flopped down next to Samson. Sorry about that. I was just saving your life he said, flipping his hair out of his face dramatically. Samson looked stunned, 
but they finally had the look of fear and worry, which showed that the monster's magic was wearing off and they were thinking clearly again. They wiped the tears off their face quickly with a tinge of embarrassment and somberly turned to look at Victor. Thank you, they said, dabbing at the blood on their arms, then reluctantly added, I owe you one. Victor nodded. Yes, and I'll be calling in that favor right now. Samson raised an eyebrow. What? Backstory, let's go, Victor said, leaning back against the wall and reaching into his cape for his tobacco pouch. Now? Are you serious? What, what about that? Samson said, waggling their finger dramatically at the mirror. The tendrils seemed to be receding into the mirror again, just as they had when Victor broke his own connection to the spirit. Victor quickly rolled himself a cigarette and lit it with a match before offering the packet to Samson. Samson shook their head and folded their arms around themselves, as though they could hide their vulnerability from Victor with their body language. Victor pointed at the mirror with his cigarette and said, That is exactly why I need to know what happened to you. I saw my ex-lover, Julian, in the mirror in the hallway. He spoke to me. He told me he needed my help. I believe the spirit or ghost or whatever it is, is using our memories and pain to trap us. I heard you talking to it just now. I heard you telling them it was your fault and you would make it up to them. I don't know what the hell is going on, but I know we need to be honest with each other if we want to stop this thing, if we want to get out of here. The more information we have, the better. So let's share, he said. He offered up the tobacco pack again, and this time Samson nodded, taking it gingerly and curling up their legs around themselves, making themselves as small as they could while they rolled their own cigarette. They clearly weren't a regular smoker. It took them quite a bit longer than Victor, but they managed and lit the match carefully, the bright orange spot making just a bit of magic in the small room full of broken things. They took a drag of the cigarette and inhaled deeply, calming down for a moment. Then they sat up a little straighter, put their back against the wall and planted their delicate shoes on the floor in front of them. They draped their arms across their knees and drifted off into memory, looking away from Victor as they talked. There was five of us. We used to say we were the four horsemen of the apocalypse and George. <laughs> they smiled at the memory. We all met at Oxford, the misfits, the ones who didn't belong. We were all weird or different in our own way, but we found each other and suddenly it was all okay. No one could touch us anymore. There's safety in numbers, you know? We did everything together, studied, boarded, dinners and games, even walking to classes. It was better as a group, the pain of being different. It wasn't such a big deal when you weren't alone. Victor nodded along, but didn't interrupt. He just smoked and listened, hoping his silence would be taken as respect. 
We all stayed on after we graduated. Some of us became researchers, some didn't. But we still spent all our time together. We even took holidays together. We were coming back from one of those when it happened. They paused for a moment and took a shaky breath, gathering their resolve to continue. We were returning from a little trip to the spas and bath. We were suddenly outside Oxford when the carriage was overtaken. I didn't see them come. The carriage was suddenly on its side and we were spilling out across the wet grass. They swarmed us, all fast movements and sharp teeth. Werewolves? Victor asked. Samson shook their head and looked up, their eyes dark pools of sorrow and anger. Vampires, they said. Victor inhaled sharply. Oh, he said, waiting for Samson to continue. Through gritted teeth, they finished their story. <laughs> it's mostly a blur. Maybe my mind has helped me forget. A kindness, I think. But soon enough, all my friends, my misfit family, were dead around me, and the vampires were satiated. They picked me up and threw me in their cart, tying me up for a later meal. They didn't even bury them. They just left their corpses on the roadside like husks, waiting for the morning sun. There was a deep silence when Samson stopped talking for a moment, lowering their head and staring at the floor. The small wisps of smoke from their cigarette curled up into the air quietly. Victor waited for a while, wondering what to say, how he could make this less awful. Sorry just didn't seem like enough. Finally, he said, how did you become a vampire? Samson sighed with a weight that was far too heavy. <sighs> there was a young boy at their camp, no more than 11 or 12. They wanted to use me as live bait. They were training him to feed. They left us out in the woods alone together and he turned me. To this day, I don't know if it was a mistake on his part, or if he believed it to be a kindness. He barely said a word. I don't know if he intended to save me from them. He ran away through the woods after that, and I never saw him again. I ran in the other direction. I ran through the night, through the pain in my legs and my aching body as I transformed, all the way back to Oxford. What happened to the vampires? Victor asked before he could stop himself. They all died of poisoning a few months later, Samson said calmly. Their eyes were shining, full of burning vengeance. Oh, oh, I see, Victor said. Well, that's something, I suppose. He wasn't going to lose any sleep over the death of vampires like that. So did you see your friends in the mirror? He asked gently. 
Samson nodded, their face looking pained. Yes, they were there, and they said... They said I was to blame. I I could have done more. I should have stopped the vampires that night and saved them. That's not true, Victor said emphatically. It feels true, Samson said softly, guilt heavy in their voice. Victor took hold of their arm and said, Listen to me. That is not true. Do you hear me? I have been a vampire way longer than you have. And I've... I've seen some things. I know what they... what we are capable of. You could not have helped them, and their blood is not on your hands. It's random luck that you survived, and they didn't. Nothing more. Samson patted Victor's hand and said, Thank you. Very quietly. Victor nodded and pulled his hand back, taking another drag of his cigarette. They were both still for a moment, then Samson took a deep breath and seemed to pull themselves together. They sat up straighter and fixed Victor with their signature inquisitive gaze. What did you see in the mirror? they asked. Like I said, I saw Julian, Victor replied, sadness growing inside him at the memory. At first, he was desperate and kind, just begging me to help him. But then he turned cruel, just like the image you saw of your friends. He blamed me for everything, told me it was my fault he had become evil. I believe the spirits are taking the form of whatever has caused us the greatest pain. I overheard two werewolves earlier, saying someone they knew who had been murdered was talking to them as well. Samson's eyebrows raised. Can they be trusted? I don't know much about werewolves. They didn't seem very friendly when I met them earlier. Victor shrugged. Werewolves and vampires don't really get along. We're kind of chaotic and dramatic, and they like rules and order. Most of them align themselves with a powerful coven of witches and obey their commands, which can involve fighting with vampires, so we're rarely friends. I don't think these ones knew I was nearby, though, so they wouldn't have a reason to lie. Samson was thoughtful for a moment, then said, There's so much I still need to learn about being a vampire. I've read many of Ingrid's books on the supernatural, but I'm starting to get the impression that book learning is not going to beat real-world experience in this case. You'll get the hang of it soon enough, Victor replied. But tonight, we need to stop this monster. Did they ask you to give them any jewelry? No, but one of my friends did admire my choker, which I found kind of odd, considering they were talking to me from beyond the grave. That is very odd, Victor agreed. They asked me about my jewelry, and when I told them I had none, they severed our connection. We should find Ingrid, Samson said. I have no idea what all this means. Agreed. But I have one more question first, Victor said. What did Ingrid want to know about me? Samson hesitated, but after a moment, they said, she wanted to know if you would become evil to be with Julian again. Victor whistled. Damn, Ingrid can be cold sometimes. She's just trying to get the job done, Samson said defensively. Even so, Victor said, shaking his head. You can tell her I won't. 
Not ever. Samson looked dubious. Even if you could save him? Victor sighed, running his hands through his hair. The thing is, Julian was the most purely good and kind person I have ever met in my life. That is why I love him so much. He taught me to be good. He showed me the value in it. He would never forgive me if I became evil. He would never want to be with me again. So what would be the point? I understand, Samson said. What did she ask about me? She wanted to know your history and if you could be trusted to join the Borealis Society, Victor replied. Samson's eyes lit up with excitement. Really? She thinks I'm good enough? I'm going to recommend she invite you, Victor said, standing up and offering his hand to Samson. Thank you so much, Samson said sincerely. I'm going to do the same. You're not bad for a vampire. Victor chuckled and dusted off his cape. They began to pick their way through the rubble when he saw movement around the side of the door. Victor tensed in fear, but it was not more monsters. It was only the small gray cat they'd seen earlier that emerged from around the corner. Oh, the cat is back! Samson ran over and picked it up, pulling the cat into their arms and scratching its ears. Victor immediately noticed the mirror begin to glow with unnatural light. Uh, Samson, I, I don't think that's a normal cat, he said, pointing at the mirror. But Samson was lost to the cat's charms again, ignoring Victor completely as the mirror grew brighter and the cat began to swell in size. Larger and larger it grew until it was the size of a toddler and then a very large dog. But still, Samson held on to it blissfully. Samson, you have to put that cat down. It's magical and doing something, Victor said urgently. Samson looked up at the mirror, and as soon as they were not looking at the cat, it opened its mouth wide, displaying a few too many teeth for a house cat. No, Victor shouted and reached for the cat, but it was too late. It was already attacking Samson. The cat's claws came out, and its sharp nails viciously lashed out towards their face. But instead of slicing into Samson's skin, the claws sliced through the choker around their neck, grabbing the necklace in one swift movement. It pulled the necklace toward its open jaws and swallowed the entire choker, pearls, sapphires, and all. What the hell? Victor said, bewildered. The cat's eyes began to glow, and it clung to Samson, swiping its claws at their earrings. Before it could eat more of Samson's jewelry, Victor yanked the cat away and flung it across the room dramatically. They watched as the strange cat monster turned in midair and leapt towards the mirror. The tendrils of smoke reached out and scooped it up, pulling the cat through the mirror's surface, which rippled like water. As quickly as the tendrils had come, they were gone, and so was the cat, or whatever it was. Within moments, the mirror returned to normal again, and they were alone. Victor and Samson looked around in surprise, but nothing else happened. The room was quiet. What was that? Samson asked. I have no idea. We need to find Ingrid, and fast, Victor said. 
Scene. The library. They ran through the lushly carpeted corridors as the rain pounded against the windows. They saw a few other guests, also transfixed by misty glowing light, just as Samson had been. But they didn't stop to help them yet. They needed to find Ingrid first. Victor's heart pumped nervously in his chest as they ran, wondering just how bad things might be before it got better. Finally, they found her with a book on her lap in a room that looked like a cozy library. She was sitting calmly by a crackling fire, gazing out a large window at the rain coming down into the courtyard. She seemed completely at ease and presumably unaware of the danger all around them. No luck finding the ghost yet, she asked Victor cheerfully when they came in. Then she turned around and looked at the looks on their faces and their bloodied appearance. What's happening? she asked, jumping out of her chair on high alert. Victor described what had happened with the necklace and the ghosts. Ingrid's eyes went wide and she gasped. Oh no, she said. Oh no? I was really hoping you were going to say we were wrong and it wasn't a big deal, Victor said. Oh no, this is absolutely a big deal, she replied. This isn't just some ghost. I think it's a Hungarian spirit wraith. Samson gasped. Victor looked blank. You're going to have to explain that for those of us who don't spend all day reading, Victor said. Hungarian spirit wraiths are a rare and dangerous breed of wraiths, Ingrid said. They bind themselves to spirit animals, usually cats, so they can more easily absorb human souls. Well, that's comforting, Victor said. They feed off of painful memories, and particularly whatever is haunting their victims emotionally. At first, the images they send often look like ghosts, and they get mistaken for a regular ghost or specter, although they are far worse, she said. Ingrid was pacing now, pulling nervously at the pieces of her hair falling down from her bun. She was muttering to herself as she paced the room. Victor had seen her like this only one time before, and they'd both very nearly died that night. I wish I had access to a library, Ingrid muttered, more to herself than to them. You're literally holding a book in a room full of books, Victor reminded her. She gave him a withering look. These are just books, she said. Regular books. I meant a library of magical texts. You can sometimes banish the wraith by binding it into an enchanted book. Any enchanted book? Samson asked. I believe so, Ingrid said, fixing him with her shrewd gaze. Why? Do you have an enchanted book hidden somewhere nearby? No, but I do recall seeing the Cunningham coven among the party guests, Samson replied. Perhaps we could get the witches to enchant a book for us. Ingrid thought about it for a moment, then smiled. That might just work, she said. But it will take a while. We need to buy some time. Have you seen anyone else affected by the mirrors? 
Yes, we saw some people on the way over, and I saw a few werewolves earlier, Victor replied. How long do we have? Is this thing trying to kill people? Oh yes, you're both incredibly lucky to have survived. It must be a young one if it's so weak, she said. Weak? It was not weak at all. I had to barrel roll Samson at high speed to free them from its grasp. Ingrid looked up from her calculating. That worked? Yes, should it not have? It's certainly surprising, she said. Usually the connection is almost impossible to break. I wonder. Yes, Victor asked, bouncing anxiously on the balls of his feet, desperate to get the fight started. Well, it's a bit of a long shot, but I have an idea how we could break the connection. Sometimes these creatures take on some elements of the animal spirit they're tethered to. So, it's a cat. Like, actually a cat? Victor asked. Yes and no. Maybe, sort of. Ingrid shrugged. It's kind of hypothetical. But if it is and it's young, I have an idea that might work. What is it? Samson asked. I think we should pour a bucket of water over the victims. Victor started laughing. He couldn't help himself. Samson gave him a look and he just shrugged. What do you want? This is absurd, Victor said. But it might work, Ingrid replied. Do you know where the closest victims might be? Yes, the werewolves at the end of the next hallway. I overheard them earlier talking about seeing a spirit. Samson, do you know your way to the kitchens? She asked. Of course. I studied the layout of the manor before we came, they said smoothly. Ingrid smiled proudly and said, Samson, go get a bucket of water and meet us there. Victor, show me to the room. Samson didn't reply. They just ran out of the room at supernatural speed. Victor followed their lead and went out into the hallway with Ingrid right next to him. They ran through the halls the thundering rain drowning out the sound of their feet. It was a short run, and soon they arrived at the door Victor had seen the werewolves enter earlier. It was closed, and a quick check revealed it was also locked. Ingrid put her ear to the door and closed her eyes, focusing her supernatural hearing. They're in here, she said. They're still alive and they're talking to the wraith. Well, that's good, Victor replied. What now? We bust down the door, Ingrid said with a shrug. She didn't waste any time. She hiked up her skirts and slammed one of her fashionable shoes into the center of the door with all of her strength. The middle of the door crashed inward, sending splinters and shards of door in all directions. She pulled her hand around the remains of the door and unlocked it, opening it so her and Victor could enter. I suppose that's one solution, Victor said with a laugh. Certainly the fastest, she said. They entered the room, which appeared to be another study. The werewolves had not even noticed the sound of Ingrid breaking in. They were far more entranced than Samson had been by the mirror. They both stood only a few inches from its glassy surface, the tendrils of fog wrapping them entirely, and the gray cat was at their feet winding over and through their legs, purring loudly. Cats, Victor said, shaking his head. 
You cannot blame this on an entire animal species, Samson said, arriving out of nowhere with a large bucket of sloshing water under each arm. I can and I will, Victor replied. He took one of the buckets and dumped it over the werewolves with great satisfaction. It wasn't every day one got to pour a bucket of water on a werewolf without any repercussions. Samson did the same to the other werewolf, and the cat screeched loudly and leapt into the mirror, pulling all of the foggy tendrils with it. The men staggered backwards, dripping wet and utterly confused. It worked! Ingrid shrieked with a grin. We are getting somewhere. Now we've just got to get ourselves a magic book, and I think we'll be able to stop it. Ingrid, what is the meaning of this? Why are we all wet? One of the werewolves asked. He was the one Victor recognized as Joseph Hild. There has been a bit of a mishap, gentlemen. My apologies, Ingrid said graciously. This is Victor and Samson. They are working security for me tonight. Aren't you that miserable drunk who's been squatting at Walsh's place? Joseph asked. Edward Walsh is a lovely fellow and a dear friend of mine. I was an invited guest, thank you very much, Victor said defensively. Oh yes, I heard about you, the other man chuckled. I heard old Edward didn't have the spine to throw you out. Victor glowered at them. Ingrid kept talking as though nothing had happened. Samson will bring you downstairs to a safe room. Just head out into the hallway there, and they'll be along in a minute. The werewolves did as they were told, but they didn't look happy about it. Ingrid ignored them and said, Samson, take the werewolves to the banquet hall and make sure to remove any reflective surfaces. Once they are secured, I need you to round up the rest of the party guests and hold everyone in the banquet hall until we come find you. Tell them whatever you need to, Pour water on them if you have to, but no matter what, make sure no one knows what's really going on. A bunch of panicked party guests with superpowers is the last thing we need right now. Victor, you're coming with me. We need to find a witch. Scene. The wine cellar. Finding the witches proved easier than expected. The werewolves were bound to their coven and could always find them. All they had to do was sniff the air for a moment, and with their superior sense of smell, they could tell Victor and Ingrid exactly where to find the witches. They followed the werewolf's instructions past the kitchens and into the wine cellar, and there they were. The Cunningham witches were huddled around an old oak table in the corner of the cellar, playing poker with some of the waitstaff. The witch's long flowing hair seemed to sparkle with an otherworldly beauty in the hazy candlelight of the large underground room. When Ingrid and Victor arrived and asked to speak to the witches privately, the waitstaff looked ecstatic to be relieved of a poker match that was undoubtedly going very poorly for them. Don't forget you owe me that wheel of cheese, Wilfred, one of the younger witches called after them as they left. One of the women shushed her and stood up haughtily, 
pulling her shoulders back and showing herself to be the leader. Good evening, Ingrid. Thank you for such a delightful party, she said, her voice dripping with dangerous beauty. Of course, Natalie, Ingrid replied carefully. I'm so sorry to pull you away from your game. We were only a few rounds away from getting the good stuff. A few drops of blood and some hair, one of the witches said, folding her arms and frowning. Natalie shot her a warning look, and she went silent immediately. Victor decided he would not like to get on Natalie's bad side. Natalie looked back to Ingrid with a calculating gaze. What can I do for you? she asked. Ingrid launched into a quick and careful synopsis of the situation, leaving out anything that might reflect poorly on her or give the witches too much information. It was not lost on Victor that even though the conversation was relatively pleasant, vampires and witches were not generally friends, and the dynamic could turn sour at any moment. The witches all leaned in closely as Ingrid explained what was happening, their eyes filling with hunger and excitement. They could smell blood in the water. Victor moved closer to Ingrid as he started to realize what a vulnerable position they were actually in. If Ingrid was responsible for the deaths of a number of prominent werewolves, werecats, and selkies, that would be very bad news for Ingrid and perhaps any vampires in the region. The politics of the situation was not lost on Natalie either, who was clearly going to get all she could out of it and enjoy the process. She paced the room softly, tapping her chin and waiting to respond to Ingrid's request until the anxiety and tension filled up the damp cellar like a pressure cooker. Finally, she turned away and spoke, looking at the wall, her voice barely a whisper. That would be an incredibly hard thing to do. Most witches couldn't manage such a spell, she said. Victor had to admire her showmanship. He highly doubted that was true. He stood back with his arms folded and let Ingrid speak. Negotiating was not one of his skills. He looked sidelong at Ingrid in the faint light and was surprised to find her mouth twitching up at the corners in a smile. But you can do it, she said simply. Natalie was quiet for a long time. She let the silence hang in the air and she swayed back and forth softly to a music only she could hear. At last, she turned around quickly, her eyes glinting ferociously in the dingy light, and said, Yes, but you, my dear girl, will owe me a favor. Victor heard a loud gasp from the table and looked to see the young witches watching the interaction with delight and awe. He kept his face stony and his arms at his chest, waiting for Ingrid's signal should she need him. Ingrid looked surprised as well and said, But the werewolves, the Hild brothers, they've already been infected by the wraith. They will not make it through the night if we don't stop it. Aren't they under your protection? Aren't they bound to your coven? Natalie shrugged, her face pompous and indifferent, her hair smooth and glittering. Werewolves are easy to come by, she said. 
Favors, less so. A favor from Ingrid Johannesson is too good to pass up. Victor looked at the greed in the younger witch's eyes, and he started to get nervous. He didn't know much about witches, but he definitely knew that owing them a favor was the very last thing you wanted in your life. It's not worth it, Ingrid. We'll find another way, he blurted out, hoping to convince her before she did something stupid. The witch laughed at him. Not before she loses her precious reputation. And Ingrid would never let that happen, she said. Victor looked at Ingrid. Her face was contorted in a look of pain, fear, and ultimately, defeat. He knew there was no talking her down. The witch was right. She had no choice. <sighs> Fine. We will deal, Ingrid said, her voice full of resignation. But the price of the favor must be an equal measure to the spell you cast for me tonight. Nothing more. Natalie's mouth curved into a wicked grin, and she eased forward, putting a delicate hand on Ingrid's shoulder, pretending to console her. Oh, you did the right thing, dear, she said comfortingly. I'm sure the werewolves will thank you for it. You'll heed what I say, won't you? The deal will not exceed the favor, Ingrid asked again, shaking Natalie's hand off her shoulder. Of course, of course, the witch said, smiling fiendishly. You don't think I would weasel out on a deal, do you? I know you would, Ingrid said coldly, her face changing into a grin. I would too. It's natural, which is why we'll be using a ceiling stone. She pulled a small gray stone out of her bag and held it up for all to see. Victor's eyes went wide, and now it was his turn to gasp. Ingrid had known what she was doing the whole time. She'd planned for this. He had to admit, he was impressed. Natalie stepped back, looking at the stone as though it was a hot coal that would burn her with its touch. The witches looked deeply disappointed, but they didn't say anything. Well, do we have a deal? Ingrid asked casually, offering the stone up to Natalie. The witch frowned. The wind had gone out of her sails completely, but she nodded her head curtly and said, fine, we will deal. Ingrid nodded and they sat down at the table. Does anyone have a needle or pin? She asked. Victor sat down next to her, smiling. Ingrid was nothing if not prepared. When he thought about it, he wasn't at all surprised that she had put precautions in place before throwing a party with so many supernatural beings. One of the witches pulled a glittering hatpin out of her hairdo and handed it to Ingrid, who nodded her head in thanks. She carefully pricked her skin and dripped a single drop of blood on the stone, whispering her request and her oath. The small stone began to glow with a soft yellow light. Ingrid handed the glowing stone and the hat pin to Natalie. She reluctantly picked it up and pricked her own finger, dropping the blood onto the stone and whispering her agreement. 
The light from within the small, smooth stone turned a bright white, beaming brighter and brighter, till it was almost blinding in the dark cellar. It looked for just a moment like a star had fallen from the sky and landed at their table. Then, just when he thought he would have to look away, the light dimmed quickly, and a moment later, the stone had returned to its normal state. Ingrid handed the stone to Natalie and said, All right, now you're going to help me bind this wraith. Scene. The Hallways. After Ingrid explained her plan and Natalie confirmed that the enchanted book was likely to stop the wraith, they began the work of magic. The book enchanting turned out to be relatively simple and it went very quickly. Natalie pulled a few herbs and crystals out of her purse, mumbled some words over the book with her coven, and then the book was glittering and glowing. Victor privately suspected that Ingrid had gotten a rather bad deal, but he wasn't going to question the situation. They needed the book, and that was that. After they enchanted the book, he was assigned to carry the faintly glowing object as the group made their way upstairs to the banquet hall. The book felt heavy in his hands. He could feel the magic weighing it down as they rushed through the long carpeted hallways. He wondered how Samson was faring with the water buckets, and more importantly, if anyone had been killed. He didn't have to wonder for long, for as soon as they rounded the corner towards the banquet hall, they nearly slammed into Samson, who was desperately trying to herd a couple of very angry werecats through the doors. I still don't understand why you needed to pour water on us, one of them was saying, clutching her wet dress to her chest defensively. Her sharp features were accented with a vicious anger, and Victor found himself thanking his lucky stars that Ingrid had not assigned him to this job. Carrying magic books beat wrangling wet werecats any day. If you'll just come with me, Madam Littleton, Ingrid will be able to explain everything soon, Samson replied. Victor could see the exhaustion and stress on their face. This hadn't been an easy evening for them. Oh, Ingrid, there you are! What is going on? The werecat said, pushing past Samson, who was still holding the door open helplessly. Samson is right, Ingrid said, her voice ringing with confident authority. We need you to get to the banquet hall immediately and shelter with all the other guests. Shelter? From what? The thunderstorm? The other werecat asked as she squeezed the water out of her velvet purse onto the lush carpet. Something like that, Ingrid said. Come along, this way. I promise I'll have someone bring you all some warm brandy in a moment. Just follow Samson into the banquet hall. The werecats looked grumpy, but they finally took the hint and let Samson lead them through to the dining area. Victor, Ingrid, and the witches followed closely behind, taking care to stay well back from the crowd in the hall. Victor looked around nervously at the assembled guests and thought about how much he would not want to be Ingrid right now. Most of the party guests were all back in the dining room, 
although in a far more miserable state than when they arrived a few hours before. The majority of them were wet, shivering, and angry. A few of them lay on the floor in states of illness or exhaustion, although Victor was pretty sure no one was dead. He thanked whatever gods were listening for that small mercy. A few of the guests were huddled in a circle, smoking and playing cards, and someone had fetched some pastries from the kitchen, passing them around. The guests weren't happy, but they were getting by. He breathed a sigh of relief and turned to Ingrid. What now? he asked. She eyed everyone nervously, then whispered, I need to hide. If people see me, I'll have to answer questions, and we don't have time for that. Get Samson, and we'll go back to the hallway. Victor nodded as Ingrid darted behind a large plant, hoping no one would see her. Natalie and her coven looked on with amusement, but thankfully they didn't say anything as Victor fetched Samson and hustled the whole group back out into the hallway. As soon as they had closed the door, Ingrid turned to Samson. Status report, she said. Samson stood up straighter and looked very serious. Victor thought for a moment they might salute, but they didn't. I've gotten all the guests I could find. The werecats would last them. A few people seem to have left early, they said. Thank goodness for that, Ingrid muttered. No casualties, Samson continued, although there were a few close calls. Some people had very strong connections to the monster, and breaking them away was difficult. How many of them gave it their jewelry? Ingrid asked. How much stronger do you think it has become? Samson looked anxious. Unfortunately, almost everyone gave it a piece of jewelry. Ingrid cursed and looked up at the ceiling, taking a deep breath. Victor squeezed her shoulder comfortingly and waited. She took a moment to collect herself and then said, I believe we have a book that will work to bind the wraith. Now we just need a trap. Does anyone still have jewelry? A few people have some items left, Samson said. Why? We need something to tempt the monster, something it wants, so we can pull it out of the mirror and trap it in the book. We need bait. Someone who still has a connection to the monster, unbroken by water, and still has jewelry. But I poured water on everyone. I already broke their connections to the wraith, Samson said. Ingrid gave Samson a look that Victor didn't understand. They stared at each other a moment, and Victor followed her gaze to Samson's ears and the delicate sapphire jeweled earrings dangling from them. Oh no, Victor said. Ingrid looked grim. I'm afraid Samson is our only option. You're going to have to be the bait. Samson looked stricken, but they nodded their heads solemnly. Of course they said without hesitation. Victor, on the other hand, did not take the news nearly so well. He remembered clearly the tears rolling down Samson's face, the pain and emptiness in their eyes as they thought about their friends who had died. The idea of sending them back to that place was cruel and unfair. There's got to be another way, he said helplessly. What about me? Give me the earrings, I'll do it. Ingrid shook her head sadly. No, the jewelry must belong to them. That's where the power comes from. The jewels are a conduit for their spirit. It has to be Samson. No, I won't let you do it, 
Victor said, pouting aggressively and folding his arms tightly around the magic book. He glared at Ingrid violently. He felt a gentle hand on his elbow and turned to Samson. Thank you for the thought. It means a lot, Samson said. But I will do it. I can handle it. Victor looked into their eyes, and he had his doubts. Samson looked scared, almost like a lost little kid. But there was determination and resolve there, too. So Victor nodded his agreement and relaxed his arms. Fine, but we'd better get this over with quickly, he grumbled. We're all doing our best here, Victor, Ingrid said. Then she turned to the witches behind her, who had been pretending not to listen to their conversation. Natalie, ladies, are you going to help us? Maybe, Natalie replied cunningly. Do you want to make another deal? Ingrid rolled her eyes. No, I've done enough deals for one night. Do you at least agree not to make it harder for us? You won't tell everyone what's happening. Natalie nodded her agreement. Don't worry, we'll just be a few more party guests, she said. Victor doubted that was true, but there was nothing he could do about it now. The rest of her coven all nodded as well, and they slipped back into the banquet hall, leaving the three of them alone in the hallway. Ingrid turned back to Samson and Victor. I guess it's just us, she said. I'm sorry it's come to this. I'll make it up to both of you later if we get out of here. It's not your fault. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, Samson said seriously. Victor shrugged. This is the most fun I've had in months, he said. Ingrid smiled a little at that. All right then, onward to the ballroom, she declared. The Ballroom Ten minutes later, and everything was in place. They had cleared the room of all reflective surfaces, servants, or party guests. Samson had fetched more buckets of water, while Victor and Ingrid had dislodged a huge floor-length mirror from one of the hallways and brought it into the ballroom. The mirror now stood near the back of the large empty room, leaning up against a wooden chair. Victor looked at it nervously as he moved to his position, hoping the monster would not appear too soon. But it did not come and everyone was able to assume their positions safely. Ingrid was hidden behind the large red velvet curtains, holding the book tight to her chest. The plan was, When the monster came out of the mirror to take possession of Samson's earrings, Ingrid would leap out and trap it in the magic book. Meanwhile, Victor was hiding behind a curtain on the other side, with a few buckets of water to pour over Samson or Ingrid should anything go wrong. He got into position, pulling the curtains around himself, and then peering out through a slit in the fabric. He held his breath as he watched Samson slowly approach the mirror, their stylish French heels clicking loudly on the smooth marble floors. Samson had their head held high and their shoulders set back, but Victor could see one of their hands shaking just a tiny bit. 
Samson approached the mirror and said, Hello, spirit? I want to see my, my friends again. As they did so, they pulled their hair back from their face and tucked it behind their ears to clearly reveal their glittering earrings to whomever might be looking. Victor breathed in tightly as he saw the tendrils of smoke curl out of the mirror and begin to reach for Samson. They looked much thicker and more solid. They weren't little wisps of smoke anymore. Now they were more like a giant octopus or even a sea monster from Greek legend. Within moments, they had curled around Samson's arms and shoulders, enveloping them in magic. It was much stronger than before and moving fast, far too fast. Victor clutched the curtains in terror. What if they were wrong? What if the monster was powerful enough already to kill Samson, maybe even kill all of them? He took a few deep breaths to steady his anxiety and tried to just focus on what was happening. He focused with his supernatural hearing to hear what Samson was saying, but he wasn't happy with what he heard. Of course I love you. Yes, yes, anything you need, Samson said, their voice sounding dead and hollow. Victor knew they weren't pretending anymore. They were completely under the creature's spell and the thought sickened him. This was cruel and unfair and he hated it. He wanted to leap out onto the dance floor and pour the bucket over Samson, but he held himself back. If he did that, this would all be for nothing. So, he waited and watched, twisting the velvet curtains tightly in frustration. Samson was becoming more and more animated, assuring the monster of their good intentions. Victor watched them carefully removing their earrings, and then he saw a little movement on the other side of the room where Ingrid was hiding. He held his breath as he watched her slide out from behind the curtain, the open book in her hands. The monster was busy. All the tendrils were focused on Samson and their precious earrings. Victor felt a prickling in his throat, a tension in his stomach, as he started to wonder what would happen after the monster consumed Samson's earrings. Just how much more powerful would it get? Ingrid crept soundlessly across the smooth floor until she was only a foot away from it. She leapt with a powerful scream, shoving the book around as many tentacles as she could get her hands on. The monster made a horrible screeching sound and every bit of it that was touching the book sizzled and smoked like it had been burned by a hot iron. Victor had expected it not to work. That's how plans like this always went. What he hadn't expected is that Ingrid's adversary would be Samson. The tentacles were entwined around Samson's arms and legs, twisting into their hair. And when they turned, Victor saw their eyes had become entirely white and they glowed with an otherworldly light. Samson reached for the book, wresting it from Ingrid's hands and sending it sliding across the floor in the process. But in the fight, they also dropped the earrings, and they went flying in the opposite direction. Victor watched the earrings sail across the ballroom floor until they were only a few feet away from where he was hiding. The monster was disoriented now, tentacles flailing wildly, trying to find the earrings and the source of the threat at the same time. 
Victor noticed the cat spirit had emerged from the mirror now too and was stalking the ballroom. He kept his eyes on the cat as Ingrid and Samson circled each other. This isn't you, Samson! You're being controlled! Fight it! Ingrid shouted. You don't know me. I would do anything for them, Samson said. Their voice sounded as empty and hollow as their white eyes. I don't know who they are, but I know you, Ingrid said, pulling a knife from somewhere within her dress. Victor hoped she wouldn't have to use it on Samson, but he knew she would if she had to. I know you wouldn't hurt me. I'm your friend, she cried. Samson moved towards her ferociously, reaching out their hands to grab her knife. Ingrid moved quickly out of the way and continued to circle them, moving her knife to the other hand so they couldn't reach it. My real friends need me, Samson said. It's my fault they're dead. I have to save them. Can't you see that? Victor stopped listening to their conversation and returned to watching the cat. He knew Samson wasn't saying what they really felt. They were just being controlled by the wraith, and he needed to focus on what really mattered. The cat was moving now, searching the ballroom, and Victor guessed he knew what it was looking for. He could see the little sapphire earrings on the floor, their jewels sparkling enticingly. He weighed his options, not wanting to lose sight of the monster, but not daring to risk Samson's survival any longer. Finally, he saw the cat change directions and move towards his side of the room. He knew what he had to do. Victor leapt out from behind the curtain and bolted for the earrings, sweeping them up in one swift movement as he moved with supernatural grace across the dance floor, clutching the bucket of water to his chest like it was made of pure gold. He ran towards Samson and dumped it over them unceremoniously, causing the cat to let out a mangled howl. Samson fell to the floor with a thud as the tentacles scurried away like they had touched fire. The cat was running across the room to follow the tentacles, which were moving quickly towards the mirror. Victor panicked as he realized they were losing the monster, so he shouted the first thing that came to mind. Here, kitty kitty, I've got your magic jewelry. Victor dangled the earrings dramatically in the air above his head. The cat stopped and looked at him, its eyes now glowing the same luminous white as Samson's had a moment before. It seemed to look at him calculatingly, deciding if he was a threat or not. A moment later, there was a movement in the mirror, and dozens of tentacles came pouring out, more and more, until suddenly there were hundreds of them, coils of smoke writhing across the ballroom floor towards him. Run, Victor! Ingrid shouted from the floor where she was crouched over Samson, trying to revive them. Victor didn't need to be told twice. He ran across the room, getting as much distance as he could between himself and the monster without leaving the room entirely. He sure as hell wasn't going to let that thing out into a room full of unsuspecting people. However, the tentacles didn't follow him across the room. Instead, they started moving upwards, forming into a shape. They were arranging themselves into a creature of some kind, a creature tethered to the cat spirit on the floor. They twisted and braided together until at last they detached themselves from the mirror entirely 
and took on the form of a vaguely human-shaped, eight-foot-tall monster with glowing eyes and a large, thrashing cattail. That's not good, Victor whispered as he backed himself up against the wall. He looked around for anything he could fight the monster with, like a convenient sword or a large piece of wood. But there was nothing, only curtains and a mirror, and he didn't know how to fight an eight-foot smoke tentacle monster anyway. This really wasn't his area of expertise. He mostly knew how to be dashing and tell funny stories at parties. This was way, way out of his league. Victor! Someone shouted. He looked up. It was Samson. Their eyes had returned to normal, and they looked shaken, but all right. They were heading towards the curtains on the other side of the room and said, Distract the monster! I have an idea! Victor breathed a sigh of relief. Distraction, he could do. Fighting monsters, not so much. But distraction, that was his specialty. The monster turned its large body towards Samson slowly at the sound of their voice. But Victor had heard his assignment loud and clear. Over here, darling, he shouted, dangling the earrings dramatically again. I've got what you're looking for. Isn't this the precious jewelry you want? The monster turned its head around and fixed its strange glowing eyes at Victor. It seemed to move slowly, lumbering across the floor and reaching out with its writhing tentacle arms. He glanced behind the monster and saw that Samson and Ingrid were trying to rip one of the giant curtains down. He didn't know what they had planned, but he didn't need to. That wasn't his job. That's all you've got? Victor shouted, moving across the room with a grin. I thought you were powerful. Why, I fought another spirit wraith last week who could have stolen the queen's jewels from right under her nose. The monster bent its head down and hissed loudly, like a giant angry cat fighting for its territory. Oh, we're hissing now, are we? Victor called. Two can play at that game. Victor's fangs came out, his eyes turned red, and he hissed back just as loudly, flailing his arms wildly in the air. This only seemed to anger the monster more, and it gave up trying to stand like a human. It went onto all fours and moved towards him much faster now, making up the distance across the ballroom quickly. Victor's heart beat fast in his chest as he looked behind the monster to see that Samson and Ingrid had been successful and were now making their way across the room, holding the book, the bucket, and the large velvet curtain. They were almost there. He just needed to distract the monster a few moments more. But what could he do? He looked around him, hoping for divine inspiration, but it was difficult in a room full of nothing. Finally, He looked down at his hands and the earrings he held, and he suddenly knew it was his only option. He groaned as he realized what he needed to do. He wanted to do anything else, but the monster was almost upon him, and he knew from experience that in a game of distraction, the most surprising solution always wins. Is this what you're looking for? He called out holding the earrings up high into the air. 
He waited until he saw that both the monster and the cat spirit had their eyes fixed on him, moving in unison towards him. Then he threw his head back and dropped the earrings into his mouth, swallowing them whole exactly like he'd seen the wraith do a few hours before. Well, not exactly like the wraith. It didn't go nearly as elegantly for him. He choked on the earrings as they went down and let out a grotesque gurgling sound, but he managed to pound his chest a few times and get them down, shaking his body all over as he swallowed the uncomfortable object. But it was all worth it. Time seemed to slow down as he watched the next few moments. The monster made a sickening, screaming sound that shook the building and probably carried over into the next county. Its eyes glowed with rage and the cat bristled, throwing its tail straight up into the air. Samson saw their opening and they leapt into the air, dumping a bucket of water over the cat spirit and then quickly wrapping it in the big velvet curtain all in one smooth movement. They held the cat spirit desperately as it screeched its misery, but they managed to hang on to the wriggling creature. Without its connection to the cat spirit, the tentacle monster began to unravel. The tendrils scrabbled across the smooth dance floor surface, trying to find something or someone to grasp onto. But before the monster could figure out what to do next, Ingrid was there, slamming the book over the writhing spirit in Samson's hands. And then it was all over. The book shut with a resounding snap, gleaming with a dim light and smoking slightly in Ingrid's shaking arms. The tentacles disappeared in a wisp of smoke, and even the storm outside the windows seemed to ebb away into an eerie silence as the world returned to normal. Victor collapsed on his knees, breathing deeply and getting his bearings for a moment. His heart was still pounding in his chest and his hands were shaking, but he realized he was smiling, grinning wildly like a fool. They'd done it. He'd done it. He'd helped save them. He'd stopped the monster and they had saved the day. He felt a kind of joy build inside him, like a ray of light cutting through the dark hole of his depression. Maybe, just maybe, there was more to life than misery and drinking. Scene, the Banquet Hall. After taking a moment to recover and Ingrid triple-checking the book was locked shut, the three of them staggered joyfully into the Banquet Hall again. Victor busted open the door, threw his arms in the air, and declared dramatically, your heroes have returned. We've slayed the monster. Samson laughed at this, but it wasn't bitter. They seemed genuinely happy for the first time that night. Ah, finally, said one of the werecats, her arms still crossed across her wet dress. Did you get our things? Victor flopped his arms down with a frown. What? He said. One of the werewolf men, Joseph Hild, 
stood up and said, Where's my necklace? My grandmother gave me that necklace. But, but we saved you, Victor said, pouting. There was a terrible monster in there, and we just saved all of you. You're the ones who put us in danger, the werecat countered. We wouldn't have needed saving if Ingrid hadn't invited us to a party with a Hungarian spirit wraith. A murmur of alarm went up from the crowd. There was a Hungarian spirit wraith, someone said. How could you not know, someone else added. I can't believe Ingrid did this, another voice agreed. Um, uh, uh, Victor turned helplessly to look at Ingrid. Politics really wasn't his forte. For her part, Ingrid looked exhausted, miserable, and ready to be done with everyone. But she tried to look in control as she straightened up her shoulders. Thank you for coming, everyone. I believe this evening must come to an early end. I hope you all enjoyed the dinner, she said, her voice ringing with authority even though her words were hollow. There was a gasp from the crowd. You can't be serious, someone in the back shouted. Enjoyed the dinner? You led us into the mouths of danger, drench us in water, and then dump us here without even telling us what's going on? How dare you, the werecat said. At least the Cunningham witches were gracious enough to tell us what you were up to. Joseph Hild was advancing on them now, his eyes glowing red, and his suit ripping apart as fur began to sprout from the seams. And you stole our jewelry, he added, his voice full of self-righteous anger. Ingrid started to look really worried now. She pushed Victor and Samson behind her and backed slowly towards the door. Are you ready? She whispered to them out of the corner of her mouth. You know the way to the carriage. Of course, Victor said smoothly. I'm always ready to make a quick getaway, darling. Ingrid turned to the crowd of people who were slowly becoming menacing supernatural creatures. I did not steal your jewelry, she stated firmly. I was misinformed about the severity of the haunting at Islington Manor, and I made a mistake anyone could have made in my situation. I did my best to correct the situation as fast as I could, and I did at great personal expense. Thanks to me and my friends, you are all here, alive and well, instead of captured by that terrible monster. Not one of you stepped up to stop it or even noticed it was trying to hurt you. You should be thanking us. But since it's unlikely you will, I guess we're going to have to run. She shouted the last word and turned around sprinting towards the back door as fast as she could, clutching the magic book tightly. Victor wasted no time following her, but Samson went the opposite direction. What are you doing? Victor shouted over the commotion as the guests tried to figure out whom to chase. Trust me, Samson called back. Meet me out front in five minutes. Victor looked around the room with wild eyes as Samson disappeared out of sight and decided he didn't really have a choice. He turned around and followed Ingrid out the door.
seen Islington Manor. Thanks to Samson's distraction, only a few of the monsters managed to catch up with him. And with a well-placed kick to the shins, Victor fended them off as they dashed out through the kitchens. He nodded and waved to the kitchen staff as they ran through, grabbing a bottle of wine from one of the tables as they went. Just because he was in a hurry didn't mean he was going to pass up a free drink. They made it through the back door and Ingrid slammed it behind them. Together, they pulled a large barrel to cover the door and buy them a few extra seconds. They didn't have to look for Ingrid's carriage. In fact, it was placed strategically right by the door, with her driver already sitting in it, idly smoking a long clay pipe. Ready, Ingrid? he asked. Yes, please, Winston, she called as she pulled open the carriage door and leapt inside. We just need to pull around front a moment, and then it's a quick getaway. How quick? Winston asked, extinguishing his pipe and tucking it inside his jacket. Remember the time the queen believed I had stolen her crown and turned her dogs into demons? Ingrid asked. Oh, yes, ma'am. That was the longest night of my life, Winston said. Faster than that, she said and slammed the door of the carriage shut with herself and Victor tucked safely inside. Oh dear, Winston muttered as he pulled the carriage across the grounds and towards the front of the house. Victor looked out the window anxiously as they came around to the front and he saw the guests all coming out of the house, their beautiful outfits now shredded by their transformations and ruined beyond repair by the water. The sight of a few dozen well-to-do party guests, transformed into soaking wet and incredibly angry, vampires, werewolves, and werecats, wasn't one he would soon forget. Leading the group around the driveway in a wild chase was a small figure in a shimmering shawl and very unsensible shoes. Samson was dashing across the grounds, holding a small glowing object in the air and running towards the carriage at high speed. Victor reached out and opened the door for Samson, not daring to ask Winston to stop when there was so many furious creatures chasing them. Luckily, he didn't need to. Samson reached for the carriage and rolled up onto the seats with a surprising amount of grace. They got inside just as one of the werewolves got a claw through the door. Samson tried to pull it closed, but the werewolf dug his claws in, tearing at the fine silk fabric of the carriage interior. Victor reached out a foot and slammed it into the claw, and he heard a satisfying yelp of pain from outside. And then the claw was gone, the door was closed, and Winston was barreling across the moors at an unreasonably fast speed. Samson was breathing heavily and leaning back in the carriage, looking around as though another monster might pop out at them. And then, after a moment, they began to laugh. Victor smiled, and then he started to laugh too. And soon they were all laughing and gritting like idiots as they made their way through the English countryside. 
Why didn't you come with us? Victor finally asked as the laughing began to subside. Samson grinned impishly and held up the small glowing object they had been carrying. It was the pendant Ingrid had promised as a prize, the pendant which cured hangovers. Victor began to laugh and said, You're too much. I can't believe you went back for that. Well done. Thank you, Samson said, holding up their prize and admiring it proudly. Victor shook his head and pulled a corkscrew out from somewhere within the depths of his cape. I must admit, I was wrong about those shoes, he said as he began to open the bottle of wine. Samson nodded. I must admit, I was wrong about you, they countered. Victor smiled and popped the wine cork. He took a sip and offered it to Samson. Ingrid looked at the two of them, and a deep satisfaction came over her face, like as though she had created something special. Since you two are getting along, she said, I have a proposal. Victor rolled his eyes. Of course you do, he said. We've barely left your last disaster, and you already want us to do something else. Samson had a sip of wine and handed it to Ingrid, who took it gladly. Since tonight's party went so, um, unpleasantly, she said, I doubt either of you will want to stay around the area. Might be best to keep our heads down for a while. Victor pulled out his tobacco pouch, rolling himself a cigarette thoughtfully. I see your point, he admitted. I have a ship waiting at the port nearby, ready to take us to my home in Amsterdam, she said. You just... Have a ship ready? Victor asked. I always have a ship ready, Ingrid said, taking another large gulp from the wine bottle. But I made sure to take precautions, just in case tonight didn't go as planned. What is there to do in Amsterdam? Victor asked, rolling down the carriage window to let the cold night air in as he lit up his cigarette. If you're asking if there will be attractive people and free liquor, the answer is yes, Ingrid said. You should have led with that, Victor replied, blowing smoke out the window. Ingrid smiled. So you're in? Sure, he said. Now hand me that wine, will you? What about you? She asked, looking at Samson, who was turning the pendant around to admire it from all angles. Of course, Samson said. After tonight, I'm more committed than ever. I had no idea the scope of the supernatural world or how many terrifying creatures there were out there. I want to help stop them all, anything or anyone who wants to hurt people. Ingrid looked positively smug. Well, that's settled then, she said happily. To the port and Amsterdam. I'm very excited to get back, actually. My sister August recently sent me a letter and told me a powerful psychic has just showed up in town and enchanted everyone. She goes by the name of a Greek goddess. What was it? Aphrodite? Hera? Oh, I remember now. Persephone. With that thought, the three of them leaned back and sipped their wine as the carriage rolled off into the dark English countryside, carrying them on to their next adventure.
And so we come to the end of our historical two-part special about that very unusual party where a few of our favorite vampires first met. After this tale of hauntings, magic, and tragic histories, we've all learned a little bit more about Victor, Samson, and of course, the mysterious Ingrid. We can now turn our sights back to London in the modern era for season two, which will be full of more magic, romance, chaos, and mysteries. Until then, I'm Corbin Rosewood, and this has been All Vampires Are Gay, The Haunting of Islington Manor. You've been listening to All Vampires Are Gay. This episode was created, written, and performed by Corwin Rosewood. Produced and composed by Parker Frost. With additional production, mixing, editing, and engineering by the team at Studio Corwin. If you enjoyed this episode, consider supporting our show today so we can make more episodes in the future. You can find all the ways to support us at CorwinRosewood.com. Thank you for listening.